Greetings, my name is Griffin Schaefer. And my name is Scott Peterson. And this is episode 47 of Inside Quizzing. A podcast about Bible quizzing for folks who love the Bible. And in this episode 47, we are going to be talking about the upcoming quiz meet, district meet number two of the regular season, as I like to refer to it, that is uh, coming up in Madras in less than two weeks away. Uh, So actually, no, less than three weeks away uh, coming up. I'm already getting so excited. I'm trying to compress the time in my head. So anyway, we'll talk about some of the details and things regarding that meet. We also have a very special announcement regarding district meet number three, which I'm very excited to tell you about, uh, but not right now because it'll ruin the surprise. Then we'll cover Hebrews chapters seven and eight, and then kind of go into the way back uh, quizzing time machine and talk a little bit about key verses theory or sort of the the reasons why we have key verses, at least in PNW. Uh, other districts don't necessarily do it the same way we do it. In fact, there's a great variety of that sort of thing. But we'll talk a little bit about why in PNW we do key verses. And then we're going to cover a uh, the the one remaining marked question for edit uh, in CBQZ from the official set. Uh, might make for some very interesting conversation. And Scott wrote uh, within, I don't know, a week or two ago, Scott wrote a quizzing uh, question writing best practices document, which is publicly available on the uh, pnwquizzing.org website. I strongly encourage everybody to take a look at it, but we will be talking uh, some about what Scott wrote in that document and talking about some of the wisdom and brilliance that he put therein. And with that said, uh, let's kind of jump into district meet number two. So it's at Madras. It is Friday and Saturday, November 23rd, uh, 22nd and 23rd. Uh, so that's so uh, just a little bit under three weeks away. It is at the Madras Free Methodist Church that's on South Adams Drive uh, with that little kind of squirrely thing where you have to go down the main road and then cut left and kind of cut back on that little road that's kind of up on that hill kind of thing. Uh, registration deadline. Uh, so if you are in the PNW or you want to be in the PNW, the, please go to the website pnwquizzing.org before the registration deadline, which is less than one weeks away. It is this Saturday, uh, November 9th. Uh, but why wait? Uh, if you are listening to my the sound of my voice and it is not yet Saturday, November 9th, 2019, please go to the website and make sure that your registration is up to date for the Madras meet. Uh, we did do something. Uh, I, I think the weather is going to turn out to be okay for us in, in uh, for Madras, but there was some concern a few weeks ago that the weather was going to take a turn for the worse. Uh, we're definitely experiencing some strange weather in the Pacific Northwest. Actually, Scott, you haven't talked yet for a bit. How's the weather uh, out in the Midwest where you are? Well, uh, we have had snow. Um, it did not stick, but the weather has hovered around highs around freezing for a day or two but today it was up at around 48 degrees so some of some of this some of that but we have seen snow come down from the sky oh very cool we have not seen snow come down from the sky unless you live up in some mountains somewhere uh then there has been much snow uh but down in the lowlands where the normal people live uh there has not been snow however there has been a very strange weather phenomenon uh, we have seen very clear skies. So, I mean, we're, we're through uh, Halloween, we're into November, uh, and at least for the next few days of this week, even in, into the first full week of November, we have clear skies and blue. Uh, now, it's been very cold. It's been getting uh, below freezing uh, at night, uh, but it warms up actually during the day. So, I mean, during the day, we've actually seen temperatures somewhere in the upper 40s and sometimes low 50s even. Uh, which is just kind of weird. Uh, my bees in the backyard are uh, kind of going nuts. They they're not really sure what to do. So they I mean they're they're hunkered in this little ball inside their hive, keeping warm at night. And then during uh, the warm hours of the day, they uh, all come out and, and go frolic and go do things. Not that there's much that they can do. Uh, there's nothing there's nothing blooming or anything. But they seem really busy uh, during uh, during those those uh, periods of time. Anyway, I'm getting way off topic. So. What we were concerned about, because of the strange weather going on in the Pacific Northwest, we were worried, or I was particularly worried, because I'm kind of a weather geek, uh, a weather nerd, I was worried that there were uh, some storms that were potentially going to be coming in uh, right around when the Madras meet is going to take place. And that's still 
probably going to happen, but I don't think they're going to be quite as severe as what was originally uh, worried about. But that being said, we decided to come up with some what we're calling weather minimums for quiz meets. So essentially, it's just policies around what we're going to do if the weather starts looking really bad at a particular quiz meet. Because, I mean, one of the things we wanted to do was ensure that if a whole bunch of, if, if the vast majority of teams thought, yeah, it's totally safe for us to drive, but there was like one or two teams that in the their that coach's opinion for that particular team in that particular vehicle, that particular road condition, they weren't feeling particularly safe about it. We didn't want to set up a situation where that coach felt compelled to, to kind of tough it out in what might be not particularly safe in driving conditions for that particular uh, vehicle and, and case and so forth. Uh, and so we worked out a system where we're not penalizing a team if they have to cancel themselves due to weather. And if there is a preponderance of teams that uh, can't make it due to weather, then we'll, we'll cancel the meet entirely. And then, of course, the board uh, of directors for P&W will cancel a meet if we feel there is a certain set of conditions that are going to be met for a majority of teams. So like ice on the roadway, snow accumulation, freezing rain, visibility below one statute mile, these sorts of things, flooding. If there's going to be like, if I fly, if I fly floods in any particular major section, then it's like, yeah, we're going to cancel the meet um, sort of thing. So um, that sort of stuff is there. That being said, for Madras, for most of the teams, I think Dallas is the only one where this wouldn't make sense. But for virtually every uh, other team, there is the alternate driving uh, route where you can go through the Dalles instead of going over the Hood Pass. And I forget exactly what the Hood Pass is called, uh, Mount Hood Pass, or maybe it's just called the Mount Hood Pass. But anyway. Isn't it, uh, isn't it called like Independence Pass or something? Oh, yeah, you're right. It's something patriotic uh, or like National Pass or, or or yeah, it's something patriotic. Yeah, Um Mm, can't remember. Anyway, so if you don't go over that direction, you can go through the Dalles, which is basically following the gorge, which, you know, the winds can get pretty nasty there. You can get freezing conditions on the roadway there, but generally you're going to be at a much lower altitude. Well, actually, you are going to be at a lower altitude, and therefore you're you're potentially going to be less likely to have freezing conditions, generally speaking, relative to independent independence pass or whatever it's called so anyway um and if you do go through the dalles uh i recommend burgerville in the dalles uh but stay away from spookies um, because spookies is spooky um don't go there anyway just my own personal opinion government right. camp government oh that's right yeah so that's right at the top of the that's right at the top of the pass or just on the western side of the pass i believe so yeah it's not like I travel this route fairly often. In fact, I think the only time I've ever traveled that route is to get to and from the, the Madras meet. And it's been a while because last year we flew. Uh, and so we just, we bypassed it. Of course, last year when we flew, we had magnificent weather. It was beautiful. Yeah. And the year before when I was driving, there was awful weather on the pass. Not awful. It was not great on the pass. And then we got hailed on crossing um, the Columbia back into Washington State. Oh, interesting. Um, what About what time of the day were you crossing back over? Mm, probably seven. Interesting. Yeah, that would have been about the same time because I think I drove. This was two years ago, right? Yes. Yeah. So, But two years ago, I think I drove. I don't remember encountering hail. I must have stopped for food or something and, and like – or. Or been just enough ahead of you where I missed it or something. One of those little freak, you know, P&W weather occurrences or something. I definitely think it was kind of a hail squall of sorts. Yeah, fun times. Well, so that is coming up. Uh, district meet number two. We will be quizzing through Hebrews chapter nine. The quizzing schedule is on the website. So please take a look at that and uh, start memorize or continue to memorize. Uh, and work your way through chapter nine for the meet. And I have a special, as teased in the show opening, I have a special announcement regarding district meet number three. It has been uh, quite some time through <laughs> the uh, the autumn and the this early winter period where we have been, although I guess technically it's still fall, uh, we have been without a quiz meet location for district meet number three. We had it a, a time slotted on the calendar, but we have not had a location confirmed until just a few hours ago today. It is confirmed that we will be quizzing for district meet number three at, wait for it, 
North Seattle Alliance Church, NSA. So uh, we, uh, we've been able to secure the location there. And Jeremy is going to be the um, coordinator on site in terms of housing and uh, interfacing with the NSA personnel and so forth. That is going to be on Friday and Saturday, January 3rd and 4th. And it'll be a very exciting meet there. All right, so with that, let's move on to Hebrews 7 and 8. And uh, Scott, what are your thoughts therein? So Hebrews 7 is one of my favorite chapters, but it took a while. So when I first memorized it, I was 17, roughly. And the beginning of the chapter is just, it's, it's a lot of talking about people that we don't talk about as much, you know, like Melchizedek or... Um, it mentions Levi. It mentions somebody else besides Abraham. And so I kind of just memorized the beginning of chapter 7, whatever. We were talking about Melchizedek. I didn't really know who that was. Um, but then when I rememorized it eight years later, especially once you hit um, – I mean the first 15 verses kind of set up the last 13 verses of the chapter. But the last 13 verses of the chapter have crazy meaning packed into each verse. And I just – I never realized it the first time around. But – um, it's quite striking the the second time through that I memorized it. But as a chapter, it's it's like a quizzing material. It is decently repetitive. There's a lot of repeating of Melchizedek. You might hear Melchizedek. Same number of syllables is going to be obvious to anyone. Um, there's a lot of high priest and king of. So there's just a lot of potential chapter verse reference questions where you're going to have to know exactly which verse you're in. Because also in chapter 7, there's a lot of verse breaks in the middle of sentences. Um, verse 2 starts in the middle of a sentence. Verse 10. Um, verse 15 doesn't, but it starts with an and. 16 starts in the middle of a sentence. 19, 21, 24. And so it, because of that, it can be hard to really lock down which verse you're in because there's not um, perfect flow and um, an ending of a complete thought in each verse. Um, but this chapter, it's actually not very key within PNW. Um, the final, there's the final four verses and then one other are the only key ones. And I think it's because a lot of those verses, as I was saying, are kind of broken up. So you could make the pair, um, I quote these two, finish these two. Um, but it's hard to pull out a lot of really strong thoughts from a single verse, even though there's tons of meaning. Um, there's as we've seen in all of Hebrews, there's a lot of different levels of uniqueness sprinkled throughout the chapter. We've got global unique words everywhere, chapter unique words. Um, but this chapter does have a lot of those, um, as I call them, unique word wastelands where you're going to find reference questions. But I think it's, it's, it's a tough chapter to memorize because of the repetitive material and the verses are decently long and there's 28 verses in the chapter. So you're going to have to be careful with CVRs and quotes in the 20s for, I think, the first time in Hebrews. Yeah, I have very similar feelings to you about the theological importance of chapter seven. Uh, it is strikingly compact with information uh, and, and deep, profound, profound information. But that leads me to a very, I don't know, I find it very interesting question. So do you find, and I don't know, there's sort of an obvious answer, but I think maybe there's a not obvious obvious answer as well here. Do you find in memorization that understanding the material makes it easier or less easy or has no difference or it makes no difference at all uh, given the type of material material you're dealing with? So like, you know, I'm, I'm sort of comparing it to memorizing uh, scripts or screenplays or something like that. So if I'm memorizing something that's fairly contemporary, uh, it's fairly easy for me to remember, or, or it's fairly easy for me to understand what, you know, what's being said in the material versus say Shakespeare. Sometimes it's a little bit more difficult. And I find that actually watching or listening to like either watching Shakespeare performed or listening to it being performed, I can actually understand it a whole lot better than just reading it. And then I, it makes it easier for me in some respects to memorize it. But I mean, from your perspective, Scott, how was understanding of the material both prior, during, or after memorizing it helpful or not helpful, or even distractive to the memorization process? That's an interesting question. I think you didn't mention this specifically, but if the language is more antiquated, it will be, or less natural, maybe that's too harsh to say less natural, it will be harder to memorize. So if we were memorizing 
New King James Version or the original King James Version, that would be very difficult to memorize just because the language constructs are not familiar to us in um, this day and age, right? Um, but the NIV is probably among the easiest translations to memorize. Um, and Hebrews, even though, I mean, when it comes to concepts, I think I didn't have to understand every single word and concept that was being talked about for me to be able to memorize it. I don't think that had a large impact on whether or not I was able to memorize something or how easily. And because I preferred epistles to the narrative material, um, it's, it's less story-based. And I know the story and the flow make a lot more sense to some people, but I didn't like the kind of start and stop nature of the talking back and forth. And I prefer just the straight letter that you, you'll find in an epistle. Um, but I think you don't want to have words or sentences or, or like whole concepts that you just have no idea what's happening because then you're kind of just having to memorize rote words. Um, but if you have kind of a sense, like when I, re- when I read, you know, he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, well, I don't have to know like, the history behind becoming a priest or what that oath was or what time, you know, I don't need to know those things, but I, the words themselves make sense. Like, Oh, he was a priest and he became a priest. And when someone said something and, um, but beyond that, if there are general themes, it can help me get to the right place in the material. So there are many books, well, there's a lot more men mentioned in the Bible than women. And so if you jump on like a, she was, well, if you jumped on, he was, there might be, 80 occurrences of that in the material. But if you jump on she was, there might be less than 10. And so if you have kind of a sense like, oh, like maybe I'm in Matthew and Mary's talked about a lot at the beginning of Matthew, or maybe I'm in Hebrews and Sarah is one of the only females mentioned in Hebrews. Um, If you have just kind of those senses or like they were in this location, in this chapter, in this location, in this chapter, I think that can help get yourself to the right place. So I answered a lot of different things about um, comprehension of the material that can help or hinder memorization. Yeah. I will relay an experience that I had many lifetimes ago back in high school. I think it was, I was, I was kind of a theater nerd and I needed to memorize different material. And I remember memorizing one particular uh, part for a play that was fairly contemporary. I want to say it was like a Steinbeck or something. I, I don't exactly remember what it was, but it was something reasonably contemporary. And, uh, in performing that, I mean, it was fairly easy to memorize. Uh, it was a fairly short part, if I remember correctly, but it was fairly easy to memorize. But in performing that, you know, we would have this sort of the joke of how cross can you make the stage manager? Because the stage manager typically is the person who's standing over off to the side and is looking through the script and is looking at every word and is make, taking notes of like who gets which words correct or incorrect and that kind of thing, right? And so in something like a more modern uh, play of some kind, if you get the idea across and you mess up a the or, you know, some of, you know, simple word here and there, or you say a phrase correctly, but kind of out of order. So I guess it's incorrect, incorrect, but using the same, the correct words, just in a slightly different order or something, as long as the meaning of the, of the phrase is not changed, the, the, the stage manager doesn't really get upset with you. Uh, generally speaking, they might have a, no- a small note here and there or something like that. If it's sort of a repeated pattern or like if, if you have a dropped line then they'll talk to you about that, but generally they, they won't really bother with, you know, it's, it's just a slight phrase, uh, uh, you know, scrambled or something, as long as the meaning is, is still clear. But when it comes to Shakespeare, uh, Shakespeare is very much in, in theater. It's like, if you miss a, a, a wherefore art thou or something, uh, and it's like, if you get the word ordering just even slightly wrong, it's like, essentially it's theater gospel. Uh, and so like you, there's much more attention, attention to detail isn't quite the right thing, but it's almost, it's, it's almost like your acting can be not quite as good as long as you get the lines exactly perfect. Whereas in a more modern, and of course, you know, fellow theater nerds are now screaming at me that I'm committing blasphemy, uh, on the podcast, but Anyway, you, you get the idea, right? Uh, Shakespeare is is needs to be precisely memorized and precisely recited. Uh, it's sort of the whole point of, of Shakespeare. So what I found was in 
memorizing Shakespeare, it actually worked better, at least for, for me in my experience, to not really understand what was going on when I started to memorize. And then after memorizing, then figure out what on earth is going on and layer that over the top of actually get it, getting the word, getting this exact words in the exact order down. And so for me, I'm wondering if I'm say a, an interrogative quizzer or a multiple answer quizzer or something like that, maybe I learn the materials meaning along with memorizing. But if I'm say uh, a key verse specialist or something, maybe I try to go rote first, even though that's a little harder because then I'm sort of solidifying the exact words in the exact order. And then I layer the meaning over the top of it. Maybe in that case, there's less of an opportunity for me to get one or two of these, especially when we're talking about not an esoteric phrase, but a phrase that we wouldn't necessarily say normally ourselves in conversation uh, to say it precisely the way that the NIV lays it out. It might make it easier, but I don't know. It's just a theory. I mean, do you think that holds water? I'm not really sure because, yeah, I really don't know if like aiming to memorize purely rote versus some meaning and the order, I that's not something I've ever thought of. And so I really don't know how that would affect memorization. It might just be something that's very specific to the person, whether um, they really need to have a strong sense of what's happening um, to be able to memorize it at all or to, you know, get good mental grasps on the material. Um, but yeah, I... I, I think I definitely tended more towards rote memorization. Um, and if there were two passages that were similar, I wouldn't try to think of things around the similar passages that were different. That I just hammered, like just repetition to set it clear in my mind, which was which. Yeah. Well, what are your thoughts about chapter eight? Chapter eight. So this one is short and sweet. Um I recall it being a little bit difficult to memorize. Again, it's kind of repetitive. Um, eight and nine is very repetitive. Like eight says, I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. And then nine says, it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors. Um, they do not remain faithful to my covenant. And then 10 goes right back and says, this is the covenant I will establish. So, I mean, like, Meaning-wise, it makes sense because he says, I'll make a new covenant. It will not be like this old covenant. And then he goes back to describing the new covenant. But when you're just dealing with the rote words, um, there's a lot of repetition. And because they're all key verses, you're going to have to take pains not to um, subtly switch verses, which mentally you can do when there are these similar phrases in each. Yeah, indeed. So 13 verses. So the shortest chapter uh, in the material that we've got for this year um, not a lot of key or sorry, not, I keep saying keywords, uh, not a lot of unique words, except until you get down to, you know, 11, 12, 13, uh, and actually not even so much in 12. There's only one. Um, yeah, similar patterns, uh, eight through 12 are, uh, key verses, uh, fin to finish this. And the next is, is, uh, actually, well, I guess it's starting in eight, uh, the, uh, with the quote, uh, these days are coming and then wrapping through the end of, uh, verse nine for the finish this and the next. Yeah. Even though this is the shortest chapter, I found it much harder to quote than chapter five. So I could do five, um, chapter five a lot faster than I could do chapter eight. Um, and I think verses eight, nine, 10, 11 are quite long. And then one and three and six are also, and five are decently long, um, I do remember this chapter because there's a lot of really good key verses, um, not key verses, multiple answer questions of all types. Um, so in, in verse 3, it talks about gifts and sacrifices, and there's going to be many different ways to write a question with that multiple answer. Um, verse 5, a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow. Um, verse 6 has the phrase superior to um, twice. I don't know if you can fashion a question out of that. Um, might be a little awkward, but that does appear twice. Um, covenant does appear twice in verse 6. People of appears twice in verse 8. So there's just, and then, you know, chapter 13 has, uh, um, chapter 13, verse 13 has obsolete and outdated. So there's a lot of, a lot of really good um, multiple answers and reference multiple answers. And in a short chapter like this, you can really go pretty crazy on multiple answers. Uh on reference multiple answers, you can push the edge of them um, and 
be fairly assured that you will get them right, assuming that you have memorized the material well. Yeah, definitely. Just watch out for W's. Uh, there's definitely some, you know, you could get some uh, reference multiple answers that uh, start with the interrogative. And uh, if you uh, jump a little too fast, you could be uh, out of luck there. You could be, but if it's a reference, if it's a CVRMA, then you know the verse, so it shouldn't be sure. a problem. You can just yeah. jump on yeah. the front of the verse number because it's such a short chapter. And then on a, if it's a CR, I would just go through the chapter and see if there's more than one CRMA that starts with a W and it might be that there are not. Um, and it's fun when there's only one because then you can jump on what or who and get it right confidently, which is yeah. a lot of fun to do. Well, and of course, chapter eight kind of reminds me also of the infamous uh, and sort of lamented days of yore when we did not have context rules at world meets and uh on a chapter reference you could the 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 context for a chapter reference was the chapter so you know you can jump on you know hebrews chapter eight right and then uh, just start quoting the entire thing and as long as you stop abruptly at the right spot and provide a reasonable question uh, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. And I mean, 13 verses to quote in 30 seconds, it, it would be tough, but it's, I think it's doable. It is doable. There's, there's a lot of meat in this chapter though, that will make that difficult. I do remember my first year at internationals. Um, it was before a question was required on a chapter reference. Um, but we did have context and I jumped on a chapter reference too fast on Hebrews. Um, it was Hebrews 10 and, I just, which is 39 verses, and I just picked a spot to start it. I think I picked verse 30, and the answer was in verse 32. And so once I had quoted verse Ooh. 32 correctly, I was just counted correct because I didn't have to provide a question. And it was especially those cases that I think caused the rule book to be changed because we definitely want the quizzer to know what they are specifically answering um, because I did jump too fast, and I got lucky by picking – a verse that was within context of the answer, you know? And so if you have this other requirement, like you have to know the question that's being asked. Um, I think that's a very reasonable rule that was changed probably. Sure. Um, yeah. So I guess we're 16 years later, so it might've been changed roughly 15 or 14 or 13 years ago. Yeah. Something. Well, it reminds me of, there was a, there was one particular question. I forget. It wasn't the first quiz. I think it was the second quiz at internationals this, this last summer where one of the other teams jumped on the question and I, I was utterly, utterly, completely convinced that it was a pre-jump in a not, I mean, a legal pre-jump. They, they did not so early that they fouled, but I mean, pre-jump in the sense of like not anywhere close to enough information. It was like the beginning of a what, you know, uh, came out and I, uh, for the life of me, I didn't hear or see any indication of any syllable beyond that. And the, the quizzer perfectly nailed the verse and got it correct. And I was just like, I, I remember even tweeting, like, I have absolutely no idea how they, they got that question correct. But like, you know, kudos for, for being able to pull that off. But uh, it was it was pretty cool. That's awesome. Well, anything else uh, interesting about seven or eight? I don't think so. I think we, you know, we hit upon the normal things like where are the PNW key verses, what's the length of the chapter, um, where are the unique material, and where is the not unique material, um, and is this a chapter that I want to kind of not change my strategy but expand my breadth of knowledge. So if you're a key verse quizzer, memorizing chapter 8, it's only 13 verses, and five of them you're already going to have memorized. If you just memorize the other ones, there are going to be questions of every single question type. And um, quizzing gets really fun if there's not just one question type you're going for. Yeah, totally. I would I would say that Chapter 8, being how small it is, is especially considering that for the Madras Meet, 50% uh, of the material will be from 7, 8, or 9. So you know, eight will be underrepresented in, in a third. It'll probably be, I don't know, I can't do the math in my head, but it'll probably be something like 20 to 25% of that 50%, uh, because it's less than a third of the overall material from those three chapters, just by verse count. Uh, but eight is one of those chapters where if you memorize nothing else, which you should memorize other things, but if you memorize nothing else, eight is absolutely a chapter that you want to memorize in full. Uh, because you will have so much opportunity 
specifically at the madras meet now that will shift and change uh later but if you're if you're if you're really tight on time and you're pre- preparing specifically for madras don't skip eight uh, for that reason, because it's going to be, there's going to be, you know, like, like Scott said, every kind of question type is jumpable on it with 13 verses. It'll be a little bit underrepresented in the 50%, but it's still going to be massively overrepresented relative to the, all of the, you know, other chapters beyond, you know, one through six. Uh, so it, it's such a great, great chapter to target. The other one that I would target is chapter nine for an entirely different reason. We'll talk about chapter nine next week, but the reason I would target chapter nine for Madras is because generally speaking, in a block of chapters uh, in prep for a meet, the last chapter tends to be the one that is less memorized by everyone else. Um, so generally speaking, there's always exceptions, but generally speaking, seven will be slightly more memorized by the bulk of quizzers than eight, eight, a little bit more than nine, all things being equal. Now, in this case, all things are not equal because eight is so much smaller. So that's going to skew things around a little bit, but if they were all equivalent, then nine would be the one that you would want to, would, would want to target, uh, for those reasons. All right. Well, with that said, we've been talking a little bit about key verses, so let's jump into key verse theory. Uh, Scott, you want to lead this one off? I don't know what we're talking about, so ah. I think you have to lead this one off. Well, I, this is interesting because I thought this was actually an idea that came from you. Um, oh, gotcha. I, I do realize I wrote this note probably six months ago. Um, yes, so key verses serve many different purposes to many different I, not really people, but levels and areas of quizzing, and it makes them, in my in my opinion, problematic. So I always thought within PNW we had a keyverse list that was published, so that um, it was kind of published with the knowledge and the admittance, uh, the realization that the vast majority of quizzers within our district are not going to memorize the whole material. So if we give them a not not only um, we're, we're we know that there are Keyverse, specific keyverse questions that there's going to be in the old um, limits, there's going to be at least three of them in a quiz, but there's often more. Um, and it's going to be on a limited number of verses, and we're going to publish a list to really kind of help the quizzers um, memorize and <clears throat> make an attempt to pick the verses with the most spiritual significance so that those are the ones that the quizzers who are not memorizing the whole material are memorizing. Would you, would you think that that was likely the reason that PNW published a keyverse list, Griffin? Actually, you know, I have no earthly idea. Um, well, I have no idea, like, actually what the reason was. But to me, it makes sense that, like, why are we picking spiritually significant verses and publishing a list? Yeah, I think I'm not really sure. I mean, I think I can see a couple of different rationales for it. I mean, like you said, I think there's the the admonition or not admonition. That's not, not the right word. An awareness of, of not every quizzer is going to memorize everything. In fact, the majority of quizzers will not memorize everything. So let's direct them toward a certain set of, of verses. That may have been it. It may have been even something a little bit more, not pragmatic, but just sort of operationally oriented. If you have multiple people writing question types and the rule book says, well, of these question types, only the spiritual, uh, only the spiritually significant verses can be of these particular types. Uh, that's fairly vague. Uh, and so it may have just been somebody who didn't like vague rules and just said, yeah, I'm going to define what the spiritually significant <clears throat> verses are, even though it is a vague you know, in a lot of cases, it's where does that line get drawn? And there's certainly quite a number of spiritually significant verses that don't make it into the key verse list. So, you know, where do you draw that line in this sort of sea of gray? It may have just been a way to make it objective and not sort of arbitrary. Or well, I guess it is arbitrary making something objective that was subjective prior. Sure. Now, the rule book has a definition for um, what is valid to be asked as a finish the verse or a quote question, right? Because it, it has language like spiritually significant, stand on their own, um, or significant to the chapter, right? Right. Would you agree that that language is um, either stating or implying, depending on how strong you want to be, um, that not all the material falls under this definition? Oh, yeah, absolutely. 
it it by very definition because otherwise you wouldn't even use any language at all okay so um it could be 99% it could be 1% but it's definitely not everything because otherwise why write it in the rule book exactly okay. all right now there are other districts that do various things that are slightly different to a lot different i believe some don't have any keyverse they don't publish keyvers list, and these questions come from pretty much any verse in the material. Some districts have what they call club lists, which um, limit the questions asked. Um, I know some kind of junior divisions have a club list, and every single question comes from that club list, which is obviously not defined in the CMA rulebook, but districts can do whatever they want. Um, so there's various, various different ways um, all with kind of a goal of making things easier on the younger quizzers or um, kind of doing some self, some prodding or some targeting of quizzers towards a certain part of the material that has been hand-selected. Now, when you arrive at internationals, um, most of the quizzers do know the whole material, and there is, I've witnessed a kind of a growing sentiment that we should be testing these quizzers on every verse of the material um, via finish the verse and quote questions, which I think as a concept is fine, but to me it's directly against what the rulebook currently says. And so if we actually want that to be the case, we should just change the rulebook. And nothing at the district level would change or would have to change because districts can do whatever they want. But there's kind of this weird spoken yet unspoken thing happening at internationals where um, the rulebook still exists with this stating that key verses are not the whole material, but then questions come from most of the material and some verses which don't feel spiritually significant, and then may people make arguments like, well, every verse in the Bible is spiritually significant, which to me is like a really lazy argument to make because, I mean, you can say like it's all significant, but this rule was written to the rulebook to like say <laughs> We're talking about a subset of material. So I, I don't know. Yeah. So a couple of things. You mentioned the concept of having every verse be a key verse. And I think from a conceptual, and you said, I think he's, if I'm quoting you correctly, I think you said something like, uh, as a concept, that's fine. As a concept, I agree that's fine in principle i think in practice it breaks down and and for the reasons that you cited right like uh there are there are the occasional verses that just on their own don't stand apart in the material right so like and, and this kind of goes a little bit of a gripe that i have with the i mean it's a and it's a very small gripe that i have with the rule book i have many other bigger gripes um, but a very small gripe with rule book is this idea of spiritual significance because it is so vague it is very argumentable. You can argue about it. I'm making up words here. I don't know. It, people can have differences of opinion uh, of whether, you know, a verse rises to this sort of weird, vague, not defined, it's spiritually significant sort of thing. But the rule that says it can stand on its own is fairly straightforward, right? And And so would you say, like, can a a sentence that spans two verses, can the second verse of that two span be an independent uh, key verse on its own? Now, fortunately, we have now, of course, you know, 15, 20 years ago, we didn't have this, but now we have the, you know, quote these two verses, uh, finish this and the, or finish this verse and the next verse or finish these two verses, whatever it is. Um, we have that to be able to in, uh, deal with the sort of sentence that spans two verses. But, uh, you know, let's take it a step further and say it's a single sentence that actually spans three verses. Uh, can you then use the third verse as a uh, as a as a key verse? Right. And or in, in terms of a key verse uh, question types and certainly in practice, we absolutely do. Uh, usually if it sort of, if there's kind of this vague flow state to the verse, uh, if it sort of makes sense where I can, I can, I can recite the verse by itself and it doesn't make people go, huh? You know, that kind of thing. Uh, but is that, that's still kind of vague and the sort of the, the objective side of me wants to say like, no, you can't have 
a key verse that, that standalone should mean something very specific, right? So if standalone gets defined further to say, like, you can't have a phrase that goes beyond the, 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 the confines of the one or two verses, depending upon what you're doing, that would maybe take things, it would be objective, but it might take things a little bit too far the other direction, right? And, and we would be missing out on a lot of verses that are key now that wouldn't be key in this sort of new, more objective uh, state. So I'm, I'm babbling here, but does, do those ideas make sense? Yeah, they do. And I think we're just kind of restating how it is so subjective and vague, which increasingly I'm more comfortable with that because Really, I don't know if there's any middle ground between the way that the rulebook is currently written or just saying, like, a list will be published that everyone will use, right, for these meets, um, because it is so subjective. Um, yeah, but there are districts there. Are, there's a district, at least one or two districts out there that has a list that they privately publish. Essentially, they create a keyverse list, but they only share it amongst the question writer. Uh, and I think there's something to be said about that, where you're saying like the, this is the objective standard that we are stating for our district of what is key and not key, but we're not telling it to anybody, uh, any of the quizzers, because we want them to try to memorize everything or whatever rationale behind it. And then of course, if you don't publish a key verse list, then it's not, you can't really legitimately challenge if a verse is key or not, right? Sure, but I think that practice of like question writers talking about and establishing a list amongst themselves but not publishing it, I think that's a great practice if that's how you want to go about it. And that's in essence what's been done at internationals. And I will say that the last at least two years and maybe as many as four years, it seems that the key verses have been really pretty good. Um, yes. but there, was, there was a time where they were just like abysmal. And so that same process was happening. Like one or more people were establishing a keyverse list that for question writing only that was private to just the question writers. But the, the construction of that list was like really bad. Um, so you can still fall down in that, you know, within that process. And one of the biggest things that I've seen, it's one of my biggest gripes is the, what I call subtypes. So finish these two, quote these two, finish this and finish this in the next. In my head, the only reason that we have created these new types that did not originally exist was for very specific scenarios. And for finish this is, I think it is clear that it was for verses that start with um, like introductory narrative language, like um, he went into town and said, or then he said to them. So stuff that we just don't have any need to test the quizzer on at the beginning of a finish the verse, but we'll start at something more meaty, which is 90% of the time the beginning of a quotation, but it can be the beginning of a sentence within the, the verse. Um, would you think that that's the reason that finish this is and finish this is the next were created? Oh, yeah, I completely agree. Well, I mean, the quote, these two verses, I mean, I, I think that was created because... I mean, I would think because you've got two verses that have a complete sentence and the sentence is uh, profound and important. And you, if you don't have the quote, these two verses, you have to pick one or the other verse. And that means you, in several you know cases, you can't pick either one because it doesn't stand on its own. And so, I mean, it kind of goes back to that, that rule of like, I hate the spiritually significant rule because it's so vague, but I like the stands alone rule, even though it is vague to some degree, it is a lot less vague. Uh, and it's something where you can say like, yeah, if you're, if you chop the sentence off in the middle of the sentence because, you know, somebody several centuries ago put the verse number, you know, in the middle of a, of a sentence, uh, you know, not being able to use that as a, as a, as a, as a quote is, you know, sad. So, I mean, I think absolutely, you know, the quote, these two verses and, and these other subtypes as you, as you call them, I think are there because of the key verse constraints. Yeah, I, I agree. But I mean, back on finish, this is, I mean, there were times at internationals, I would see a finish the verse asked, starting at the then he said to them and i just wanted to find the question writer and be like what are you thinking like are you did you just do you not understand that finish this do you do you not realize that they exist do you realize they exist but don't understand anything about like i just i was so baffled like why would you write this as a finish the verse when it's just jumping up and down screaming finish this at you right right um, right 
And well, and especially since there aren't that many finish this is, right? So, I mean, any opportunity that you have to add to the finish this roster uh, is a good thing. You would think, but nope. <laughs> um, and then I've, I've heard, so to me, that's like just awful, awful practice writing those as finish the verses. Now, there's a practice, there's someone who has a different opinion of, than me on like the point of finish these two and quote these two that I think is very reasonable. Um, so you tell me which, I mean, you don't have to tell me which one you think is more reasonable. It's not a competition, but um, yes, it is. So their opinion is that the paired keepers type was created um, for situations where the second verse cannot stand alone or does not stand alone. And so would not be able to be included in a, or written as a keepers. And so then you write them as a pair together. And isn't that what I just, that's what we were just saying is though, how, how is it different than what you were saying? So I don't think I ever said specifically what to me, it's just as a pair, they're stronger than, um, apart from each other. So I don't necessarily say the second verse in the pair has to, in my opinion, be invalid as a key verse question. It's just that the two together work way better as a pair than by themselves. Okay, so the other opinion, the not Scott opinion, is that the second verse of a two-verse span must be something that could not stand on its own. Correct. Interesting. I don't know that I would go that far. I think I tend to write, or when, when constructing key verse lists, I tend to generally go that direction, but I wouldn't use it as a hard and fast rule. I mean, there there are situations where... I think, you know, yeah, the second verse could stand apart here, but it just really flows well to have these two together. It just makes a lot of sense to have them together. There's other situations where the first verse doesn't really stand by itself. The second verse does, and it, the first verse informs the second to such a degree that it's like, okay, let's put them together. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I see the argument. I see the point, but I kind of lean towards your opinion, I think, a little bit more. Sure, but I think this other opinion it doesn't um, it doesn't create a bad situation, right? It's it like it does not. It is if, not. Yeah. If you if you hold to that, they're writing a bunch of the same finish these two as I am writing, and it's just there might be a couple that I pair together that they either keep separate as finish the verses or write one as a finish the verse and just another one is not a finish the verse at all, and all of those are fine because the quizzers like is still being asked really good questions, and it's not like the finish this case where. If you're asked to finish the verse that starts with then he said to them, like that's a terrible question. <laughs> right, right. Um, so that's so those are some differing thoughts. Um I think my biggest one of my biggest gripes is um the use of those subtypes. Um and then how the rule book is written a certain way, but we do a different thing at internationals. And I mean, just just decide and be consistent about it. And I'm totally fine with it being subjective and vague because I think I love that it's a form of study for the quizzers to say like, oh, which verses in these do I think stand on their own and are spiritually significant? And then they get to say like, oh, this works awesome as a finish this. This works awesome as a quote these two verses. And when you're putting together a list, I mean, I've I've talked to other people that put together lists and it seems like we kind of put together an 80% similar list. Like it's a lot more similar than you would think for two different people that didn't communicate at all. Um, and so – I kind of I like that that was the case. Like when I quizzed, I never jumped on key versus internationals, but the kids that did were the ones, and the ones that did well were the ones that made those lists and worked hard on them. And the question writers were doing the exact same thing with the exact same like kind of reading of the rule book. And to me, that made it super fun, and it rewarded the quizzers that put in that extra work. Yeah, I completely agree. Well, so let's move on to. Are, we have one question that's marked for edit that's still left. I mean, we I think after the last meet, we had something like six or seven, but uh, Jeremy and other uh, officials have been working on editing and cleaning up uh, the questions, uh, and there is only one that is left here. Um, so We can, we can skip it, because I actually remember one that was marked weeks ago. Oh, well, we can... let's do the one that you remember. So the one was from Hebrews 6.9, um, our most... Um, seasoned quiz master marked this one. Um, and they, <laughs> the question was a multiple answer, I believe. And I believe the question, the, the phrasing does matter, um, but it's from Hebrews 6, 9. And the question was a reference question, what thing? And it was better things in your case, the things that have to do with salvation. Okay, and the reason so it's a chapter verse reference question, I would imagine I'm guessing things occur. Well, yeah, it occurs yeah. twice in this 
Okay. What was the reason for the marking? So the reason for the marking, um, I am guessing, was that um, the better things in your case, um, and then it goes on to say the things that have to do with salvation, that is like textbooked, the clarification of a single answer is not a multiple answer, right? Because the things that have to do with salvation um, is referencing the better thing, I believe. Okay, sorry, I misunderstood. Was this a multiple answer chapter verse reference or just a chapter verse reference? It was a multiple answer chapter verse reference. Oh, no, no, it is not a multiple answer. So, but hear me out. Okay. So if this question is, we are convinced of what? Better things in your case, the things that have to do with salvation. To me, that is absolutely an interrogative, right? It's just one thing and then that thing is clarified. Now, we often ask what, noun questions where we are getting two adjectives or two descriptions on that one noun. We are not saying that that noun exists twice. And to me, in this case, there are two different descriptions of the noun things. And I don't know if it's very different construct-wise from something like inexpressible and glorious joy. What joy? Like, we're not saying that there are two joys. We're saying, like, what are the two descriptions of this noun joy? (laughs) But we can only add one word, and so we use this generic what. And I think that that construct is very similar in this case. Yeah, but okay, but would you, ignoring everything prior, ignoring the part where it's better things in your case and looking only after the the dash there, um, the things that have to do with salvation, you wouldn't write a question, what things? You would say the things that what, or things that what, or something like that, right? Um, what things just is really, really awkward. Um, but I mean, it's, I guess it's valid, uh, even though it's awkward, but okay. So take it a step, take it a step back. For example, like, like there's a question that says, um, who spoke, right. Or something like that. Um, and the, the, the question is the Holy spirit spoke, uh, the dash dash, the person of the Trinity that is not the son Mm -hmm. or the father. Right? Sure, sure. Um, and, so, you know, clearly those are two different, I mean, one is the name and one is a description, but they're still referring to one thing. It's not, it's not multiple things. The difference is the interrogative word used because who very clearly asks for a person. And if there are multiple descriptions of the same person, it's still the same person, right? But what is used in not such a, a finite or definite sense um, and we use it all the time to mean like much bigger phrases. And you, you probably hate this explanation because it's basically um, tribal quizzing construct, right? Yes, exactly, exactly. But like when well, we when, when but... we say what joy and express one glorious joy, like that way of asking what joy is never used in the English language ever. <laughs> Right. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But I, I guess part of it is also the structure of the verse, right? So, I mean, if you've got word, what, you know, or what word, and then word and word, or word or word, right? It, that, to me, cognitively is uh, way more of a multi... I mean, that's that's a clear multiple answer. But, like, the, coming back to this thing, and maybe it's just the, the way it's structured just feels incredibly not like a multiple answer to me. Um, but better... I agree that that's how it feels, but that's why I brought up a construct that I think feels way more like a multiple answer and then trying to say, like, these two are the same construct. Yeah, so, I mean, here's the thing. Is it challengeable? No, probably not. I can see the argument well, that it's not it, challengeable. It's very challengeable. It's just whether no, or not no, no, that, no. that would mean, No, 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 no. Okay, fine. I mean, I mean, <laughs> what I mean, challengeable in the sense of like, is it a good idea to challenge it? Right. Sure, so sure. like if you, if you, if you get this question and you disagree with it being either a multiple answer or not, is it a good idea to challenge? Probably not. Right. Um, I don't think the Quizmaster has really the latitude to, uh, you know, basically side one way or the other based on the, on, on how it's written. But I'm looking at this from not the Quizmaster's perspective, but the question writer perspective it's awkward. There are so many better questions that you can write that don't fall into this trap. So don't write this one. Would you write what joy an expressible and glorious joy as a CRMA sure. from first Peter? Sure. Sure. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can get, I can see. Yeah. It's not, it's not the greatest, but I think it's not the greatest. I think it is more valid than invalid as a CBRMA. Yeah. 
I can see the argument, but I'm just I'm really struggling. I I, I don't know. I'm 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 less convinced that it's the same as the joy example. Um, I can't tell you why though. I mean, mm. I, I mean, it is that. I mean, the dash. I mean, I keep using the word construct, but I think it works well. Like the dash sure. really sets off that it's just a pure clarification of this previous word. You know, whereas the other one was like two adjectives, one right after another, you know, like it's a lot cleaner of a multiple answer. Whereas this one, you're yeah, like, but, yeah. Well, punctuation though, I, I give, I give virtually no level of, uh, I, I give almost zero import to, uh, punctuation when it comes to this. So, I mean, I'm sort of citing more on with you, uh, regardless of the punctuation but i agree i think the punctuation makes it more clear that it's that it's not a, a multiple answer but i i just don't even want to go there because punctuation is so uh i don't know maybe this is the the bible scholar in me it's just so after the fact right sure makes sense all right well uh in the little bit of time we have left i do want to hit your question writing best practices document uh so this is something that uh scott wrote uh let's see week or two ago, a couple weeks ago, or at least posted to the website a couple of weeks ago. Uh, do you want to kind of give like a top level 411 kind of overview of kind of the theory behind it? Yeah. I just wanted to put together a best practices of question writing document because I've written a lot of questions. I've edited and looked at a lot of other people's questions and I've talked question writing endlessly with other question writers. <laughs> um, and I was very clear at the beginning that this is a best practices. Um, and it's something that I, Hope gets many, many pull requests to um, it's because it is part of the PNW quizzing website, which is open sourced on GitHub. So anyone can view it, view these best practices and then post a pull request. And I've already had feedback from one person who had a slightly different opinion because I don't want this to be my best practices. I want them to be like a wider, more widely held set of best practices, but they're best practices in the sense that these are not rules. I'm not looking for them to become rules. And if a question is written not along these best practices, it does not make it invalid and it should not be challenged. Um, but thus far, this document is maybe 10% done. I came up with, um, I think, six topics or not topics, but kind of um, bullet points on interrogative questions so far. But this will definitely extend to every single question type as I add to it over time. Um, but yeah, it's out there on GitHub and one quick example is um, there are many places in scripture where there's kind of an if-then statement, like if you are sleepy, you should go to bed, then you should go to bed. Um, and I've seen interrogative questions written, like if you are what? Sleepy. And to me, that's just kind of like missing the whole idea. Like this is an if-then statement. Why would you write a question that only asks half of it? Um, or some, this, this can be worse if you write a question like you are what? Because then you're saying like, this person was sleepy is kind of the implication that you're given when the way that it's written is like an if, you know, it's not saying that this definitely did happen. And so it's much better to write if you are sleepy, then what? Or um, um, you should go to bed when, when being um, if you are sleepy. And it just kind of goes, explains like um, why would this question be better written this way versus another way, even though it's testing the exact same material um, and stuff like that. Cause I, I have a lot of fun writing quiz questions and I try to make them as good as possible. Um, and sure, good is the criteria that I come up with myself, but we want to test the whole material um, using all of the different question types as best we can um, and give the quizzers a lot of variety as far as um, not just type of question, but the, the format in which we write within a specific question type, um, test the whole material, um, give you all kinds of question types, Short questions, long questions, easy questions, hard questions. Um, just make sure that they're clear and testing the material well. All right. Very cool. Well, you can find this under the pnwquizzing.org website. Take a look under the support and advice section under officials. And there's a link there called question writing, and you'll be able to go straight to the document. Uh, this won't be, wouldn't be necessarily on the homepage. You want to uh, get yourself down into one of the sub pages or use the flyout menu to be able to get to it under support 
and advice and then under officials look for question writing and the document is there and like scott said this is also available you know everything on the pnw website is is you know committed into the github project so yeah if you have uh, differing ideas you can use the tools on github even if you want to you know you can certainly fork the repo and write a change and uh, you know, push that over and have us review it and so forth. But even better, you can uh, write tickets or you can comment on certain sections and uh, we can have dialogue that way as well. So there's a lot of uh, way, different ways that we can communicate on some of these ideas. Absolutely. And I'd love feedback. And yeah, I already had feedback on that specific if then section about I actually don't think this is a good question the way that you wrote it, you know, so I, I have an amendment written that I have not yet um, submitted a pull request for, but that will be getting into um, the website soon. Very cool. All right. Well, with that, we should uh, wrap things up. Want to remind everybody, of course, that we very much appreciate your feedback on all topics and even stuff we haven't even figured out as a topic yet. Uh, so please email us at iq at cbqz.org. So inside quizzing at cbqz.org, iq at cbqz.org. And we would love to hear from you, uh, especially if you are not from the PNW district. We'd love to be able to hear from you. And we've got several folks from uh, all across uh, various different districts across Canada and the U.S. that are listening. So we'd love to be able to hear from you. And also you can follow us and you can tweet at us uh, on our Twitter account, which is at Inside Quizzing. So please take a look at that. And with that said, I will bid you all adieu. And thank you, Scott. See you later, everybody.